So you take your husband to the emergency room. It's the same emergency room you've been in a dozen times. You've been there for a broken nose, for a cut that needs to be sutured. You've been there for kidney stones. You know how long of a wait this emergency room usually has. So you sit your husband down with a triage nurse, and then you go to find a soda. You're only gone for about a minute and a half. You come back, and and he's nowhere to be found. Where's my husband, you ask the nurse, and she says, Well, that heart patient went on back. Heart patient? Yes, she says. He's presenting with heart symptoms. And, well, you know, when it's the heart, it's serious. It's urgent. You're having a a wonderful meal with a group of friends, having a great evening. And all of a sudden, one of your friends starts to look a little uncomfortable is your steak okay, you ask? And he says, yeah, yeah, the steak's fine. It's just, it's just, I, I, I don't feel so good. My, my chest is just a little tight. Everyone at the table stops eating. Everyone's thinking the same thing. No one says a word. And the friend continues, well, I'm sure I'm, I'm fine. It's probably just a little bit of indigestion. I'll just kind of see what happens About that time, someone gets up from the table, gets their keys out of their pocket and says, come on, we're going to the emergency room. No, no, says our friend. No, I'll be fine. Let's just wait a few more minutes. And now everyone around the table starts to join in the discussion. No, you probably are okay, but, but it could be your heart. And you know when it's your heart, it's serious. It's urgent. We all know that when something's wrong with the heart, it's urgent. Friends take it seriously. Medical personnel take it seriously. It calls for action, prompt and swift and precise, because it's the heart, right? And if something's wrong with the heart, it's urgent. This morning, we continue our sermon series on the Beatitudes. And as we continue, Jesus weighs in on the urgency of the human heart. He says, blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. Blessed are those hearts in the right condition to draw near to God. Blessed are the pure in cardea. Cardea is the Greek word in Scripture that we translate as heart. And while it can mean the physical heart, that blood-pumping organ in our chest, cardia in Greek means so much more. The pastor and author Jim Harnish writes, in Scripture, the heart is like the mission control center in Houston that guides spacecraft. The heart is the motivating, controlling center of our human personality, the deep inner source of passion, energy, and direction for our lives. With unwavering clarity, the scriptures take us to the deepest places of the heart, convinced that the heart of the matter is always a matter of heart. The heart of the matter is always a matter of heart. So the author of Proverbs writes, Keep your heart with all vigilance, for from it flows the spring of life. 
And the ancient Shema in the book of Deuteronomy quoted by Jesus as the greatest commandment of all Torah says, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart. And we read in 1 Samuel that human beings may look on appearances, but God looks upon the heart. And the psalmist begs God in Psalm 139, search me and know my heart, O God. Test me and lead me in the way everlasting. The heart of the matter is always a matter of heart. And over and over again, the Bible suggests that the heart must be aligned with God. And failure of the heart, failure to be aligned with God, well, that's serious. That's urgent. And that's exactly what the prophet Ezekiel described in our passage that Teresa read a few minutes ago. He describes a heart condition, a heart failure of God's people, Israel. And what's his diagnosis? These people have hard hearts. They have hearts of stone. It's the same condition, the same heart condition that Jesus diagnosed in the Pharisees, in the crowd that followed him, and even in his own disciples at times. Those hearts of stone, said Jesus, they can't understand my parables. Those hearts of stone, says Jesus, they show no compassion for those in need. They can't see the kingdom of God standing in front of them, and the seeds of the gospel can't be sown in those stony hearts. This heart condition is serious, taught Jesus. It always has been, and it still is. Many of you know that Al and I have a daughter named Rachel. She's our pride and joy. She's a cardiac nurse. We love her. We're so proud of her. But I have to tell you, there have been some moments in the last few years that we have found her, well, downright annoying. <laughs> She'd only been a cardiac nurse about six months when she told Al and I we needed to get a Netflix account. And once we got that account, she would call and tell us to watch certain documentaries on Netflix. Not only would she tell us to watch these documentaries, she would give us a deadline by which we had to watch them. And then she would call and follow up with us and ask us questions. And these were exciting documentaries, like, like the problems and dangers of sugar in your diet. The benefits of exercise, and my favorite, the effect of stress on your heart. When this was done, she then gave us Fitbits. Now, that's a wonderful gift, <laughs> except before she gave them to us, she registered our Fitbits, and she made herself our Fitbit buddy. So that meant that she could sit down at the end of each week and give us a phone call and review with us our steps, our exercise, and how much sleep we had received in the previous week. This really came to a head when we were at a family reunion, and we had an elderly relative who had just gotten out of the hospital with a heart condition. 
He had gone over his condition with her and showed her, which he should not have done, his list of medications, problem. And then when he got back from the breakfast buffet with his plate, she literally made him throw it away and start over again. I, I took her aside like any nice mom, right? And I explained to her that we love her and we appreciate her, but really she cannot control how the people she loves eat or sleep or behave, that it wasn't appropriate. And that's when her eyes actually got a little teary. And I'll never forget what she said to me. She said, I know, Mama, but if you could see what I see, Every day, people coming in so very sick, with such small and restricted lives because of bad choices, and I see it day after day, week after week, and I love you guys, and I don't want that for you. If you could see what I see. I then began to imagine Rachel seeing dozens of patients a day, four days a week, all of her patients sick enough that they are there for heart surgery. And I began to understand her urgency, her urgency with those of us that she loves. But I can also imagine Jesus had that same sense of urgency. Looking out on the crowds that followed him, looking out at the world he lived in, he saw heart conditions that crippled and blinded. He saw heart conditions that separated people from one another and from God. What did Jesus see? The Bible teaches us he saw dirty hearts, hearts carrying sin and shame, secret sorrow and bitterness. He saw divided hearts, hearts trying to be loyal to everything, so effectively loyal to nothing. He saw dead hearts, hearts so rigid that nothing could move them, nothing could change them, nothing spoke to them. Jesus looked at dirty, divided, dead hearts, and he spoke these words, Blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. They're the ones with clean hearts, with undiluted, undivided loyalty to the truth, to God's kingdom. They are the ones... God inwardly transforms, that God can use to change this world. Blessed are the pure in heart, Jesus said, if you could only see what I see. Jesus knew what we now know, that our God is in the heart repair, heart washing, heart transplant business. Jesus knew that at the cross the world would learn just how far our God goes, how seriously, how urgently our God desires purified hearts for each of us, for those we love, for those we ignore and those we malign, for our broken, dirty, divided, yes, even spiritually dead world. Blessed are the pure in heart, Jesus said, those who would give me their heart, those who would allow me to work on their heart, for they shall see God. There's just one problem. As I look around at our world, 
our nation, my life and my own heart, I see something else. What about you? I see hatred and falsehood. Hatred and falsehood so very strong and so very constant that I'm afraid I'm going to get used to it. On Facebook, on TV, on our streets, in the halls of government. I see people and families, nations, and every political party hedging their bet, loyal to nothing but self-advancement. But a note of caution. Wrong, I'm sorry. I see communities. I see churches and individuals so entrenched in the right belief, in the right way of doing things, that they literally leave no room for God to work, to shape, to transform them. They leave no space to be used for divine purposes. I don't know about you, but I see heart failure all around me. And what's even worse, I see it within me. I see it all over this planet, in our national discourse, and I long for, yes, I need to see something else. I need to see God. We need to see God. Our country needs to see God. And at the risk of sounding like my beautiful daughter, Rachel, that means that I must, we must pay attention to the conditions of the heart. We must name them for what they are, recognize them as heart failure, and then as Jesus says in the Beatitudes, somehow find a way to purify, to clean, to refine, to prune, to soften human hearts. And thanks be to God, there is a way. Our God didn't leave his people Israel in heart failure. Our God doesn't leave our world, our families, our church, our nation in heart failure. No, our God has the power to clean human hearts. Our God has the power to refine and prune human hearts so that they aren't divided and deluded. And our God has the power to take dead hearts, stony hearts, and put pliable, malleable, living flesh hearts in their place. God said it to Ezekiel, a new heart I will give you, a new spirit I will put within you. I will remove from your body the heart of stone and give you a heart of flesh. And in Luke's gospel, two of his disciples meet the risen Christ on the road to Emmaus. And in that encounter, their hearts are transformed. So much so that they say, didn't we feel our hearts burning within us as he spoke? Friends, God knows our hearts. God knows our heart failures, and God demands, frankly, that we give them dirt, division, stones, and all, give them over to Christ's transforming power. Then, then we will begin to see more than the mess around us. Then we can catch a glimpse of God's kingdom unfolding in our midst. But a note of caution C.S. Lewis once quipped that it's safe to tell the pure of heart they will see God, for only the pure in heart want to. 
seeing, really seeing God. As Mark talked about last week in his sermon, in one another, in the mess around us, in the painful needs of those we don't know, in our dirtiness, dividedness, and rigidness, well, most people would frankly rather not, would rather go to the other side of the road and not see. It's too demanding. It's untidy. But most importantly, it calls for us to change, to really change. And few of us are good at that. It hurts. It hurts to be refined and pruned, and it's certainly painful to have your heart ripped out to have it broken, to have it transformed. But that's exactly what we're called to do, my friends. That's what the church is called to do. Many would just skip the process altogether. Many do. The Apostle Paul actually understood this. And he spent the end of his life encouraging his congregations to take the chance, to make the leap, to allow Christ and Christ's love to invade their hearts and transform them and through them capture the world for God's kingdom. Now, I don't think anyone would have experienced Paul as pure in heart. He was a know-it-all, after all. He was blustery. He was bossy. He was easily hurt, defensive, and arrogant, not at all humble. Though he's my favorite biblical author, he's the last one I'd want to sit down and have a cup of coffee with, right? And yet, undeniably, God worked a miracle in his heart. He began to see things differently. He began to value things differently. He even began to talk to his churches differently. And in the letter to the Corinthians that Mark read a few minutes ago, as Paul's trying to help that church understand what matters and how to live together in some kind of harmony, same thing that we are trying to do in our world today, Paul writes one of the best descriptions of purity of heart that I know. He writes, a pure heart is patient. A pure heart is kind. A pure heart isn't envious or boastful or arrogant or rude. It does not insist on its own way. It is not irritable or resentful. It does not rejoice in wrongdoing, but a pure heart rejoices in the truth. It bears all things. It believes all things. It hopes all things. It endures all things. And a pure heart knows that love, love alone, never ends. This, says Paul, is how we see God. This is when we see God. And this is how we show God to one another and to a dirty, divided, broken world. Friends, the heart of the matter is always a matter of heart. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they, they shall see God. Let us bring our hearts to the God who purifies, who speaks truth, who opens our eyes and shows us the way of love. Let us pray. God, we see so much, 
in this world. So much that hurts, that destroys, that divides, and our eyes weary of the sight. We draw close to you this day, and we bring our hearts to you. Take them and make them your own. Fashion of them hearts for service and for love. Show us your will and your work in the world. Allow those around us to see you in all we do. In the name of our Savior, the one who showed us your very heart, Jesus Christ. Amen.